All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander. I'm here with my co-host, Don Grafham. Don, as always, how are you doing? And yes, I genuinely care about your answer. No, don't even say it that way. You don't really care. But it is a nice it is a nice question. And I'll, I'll take you for it today because because I'm doing well. And usually we start each of these saying that we're in a pandemic. We're going to come out of that one day. One day we'll be in the same room. We're not in the same room, but we are under the same roof today. Yeah, that's true. So I feel pretty good that we're uh, we're in different rooms, but we're in the same building. So we're making progress. But, you know, a lot of people say that these are uncertain times. And so I thought, you know, it might be worth just talking a little bit about what's certain. You know, what is true these days? And we're not supposed to say the date, but when we look outside, the leaves are changing. It's fall in Minnesota. I mean, you kind of feel some of that sense of anticipation of the fall getting going. And the Vikings have already lost three games. So (laughs) these are the things that are certain. So Vikings fans have already given up. They've already thrown their jerseys back in the closet, said, let's try it again next year. Your team is up 3-0. Yeah. My team is up 3-0, the Bears. Seahawks, Bears. Seahawks, I should mention that. (laughs) And I've already beat you in fantasy football. So things are certain. We're off to the same normal direction in the fall. But the one thing I do want to add, we don't usually start with kind of a a more serious note, but I want to say is that the other thing is certain is that God is still in charge. You know, there will be a victory. God will have the victory. And just this morning, I don't know, I don't know why, but I was going through Habakkuk. Who reads Habakkuk? I was reading Habakkuk, and it ends with this great verse that I thought maybe would be a word of encouragement. And I think we'll actually talk about this as we go. Here's how he ends, because he's kind of got this discouraging situation happening to him. And he he finishes by saying, though the fig tree does not uh, bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, here it is. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I just love that reminder today. That is what's certain, even in the midst of uncertainty. Even though, you know, the tree isn't budding and the grapes, there's no vines, there's no grapes on the vine. And even though we have to wear masks and even though we don't know what's next with kids, even though we don't know what's next with church, Yet we will rejoice, yet we'll thank God. He is our strength. And that's just just a word, just a word to start the day of, start our time is there's something that's certain. And yeah. God is what's certain. So I think that's what we'll talk about today. It's yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Thanks for teeing that up. And also we've got a special guest who we want to hear from. So that was really your opportunity to chime in and say something meaningful because we want to hear from our special guest. <laughs> uh, Eagleburg Church's very own senior pastor, Jason Strand. Jason, thanks for taking time to chat with us today. How are you feeling right now? Well, I knew when Don said he was doing well, it was going to go back to the Bears. <laughs> I just knew like right away when he said that. Maybe so that's I love, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Vikings fan. We're 0-3. I actually don't get too worked up about it, but uh, no, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for, thanks for taking time. I know a lot of people are excited to hear from you. Um, There's so many things that we could talk to you about and Don, and and as we were brainstorming, it's like, what direction do we go? But today we want to talk to you about the vision that you've rolled out to our church and staff that really you rolled out well over a year ago, even before you are our senior pastor. But before we get there, just so people can catch up with us, can you recap the last seven months you've had as senior pastor of this church, because it's probably um, 
unlike anything people have experienced as being senior pastor for the first seven months of any church. So tell us what's happened the last seven months. Well, uh, one weekend there was a global pandemic uh, that made people fearful of large gatherings. So that was, uh, I mean, I, it was it was crazy because, uh, you know, I spoke one weekend live and then the next weekend we went online only. And I remember thinking to myself, am I about to do something that's never been done in the history of the church? And I'm doing it in the second week because every leadership book you read says when you, you know, when you first start, you know, don't change anything, just keep it the way it is. And we were, our hand was forced. And so we were online for, you know, five months. And during that period of time, there was, you know, racial tension in, in Minneapolis, the city where we are. And um, so we were dealing with that and protests and, and riots. And um, now we're in an election. So now we've got, uh, several months of, uh, you know, commercials and politics and people going back and forth about that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting seven months. I was listening to a leadership podcast by Craig Rochelle. This was like a week in to my job. And this is when the whole COVID thing was happening. And he said, you know, the good news for every leader is you face something like this once a decade. And that I was like, well, now I've got nine years and you know, 11 months and whatever it is to wait for the next one. Uh, so we just got out of the way right away. Oh, man. Well, it's amazing what you've had to navigate on top of, and we didn't talk much about this, but on top of transitioning behind a very beloved senior pastor who'd been here 29 years and grown the church from 400 to 25,000. And I mean, that was, you know, all that stuff we just mentioned, you just mentioned was on top of just already what was going to be a difficult transition. And God has been really good to you, really good to our church. And so we're going to unpack that as we go along, but I just wanted people to kind of have that history. And so let's get to this vision that you rolled out. In fact, I just need to say it was such a strong vision that our all staff planning team, when they originally heard it, they created these sweatshirts that we gave out to our entire staff with this phrase, uh, this phrase, hold the line hold the line. That was really the vision that you laid out, you know, well over a year ago. What does that mean exactly, Jason, to hold the line? Yeah. You know, your comment real quick about, uh, you know, a leader transitioning from 29 years of one senior pastor to a different senior pastor. And I, I spent over a year, like studying that, reading books about it, asking questions of other leaders who had transitioned. And the weird thing was, you know, one weekend, it was like, throw those notes out the door. Uh, they were no longer relevant. Now you had another challenge that you you had to address, which is interesting how you you think you can plan for something and then God, uh, oftentimes you have to just kind of trust in him as you go through. But uh, yeah, you know, the vision, hold the line. Uh, it came from when I was applying for the job of senior pastor, the board asked me, would you share with us a five-year vision? It was more just an exercise. It was more just you know, come up with something, make it sound good. And you can apply. It's, it was a, a, a job application kind of process, but I took it seriously. And so I, I went away and I prayed and I was, you know, in this closet we have upstairs and I was just praying and, and asking God and really felt like God spoke to me. And so I went back. I didn't tell anybody that I didn't say like, Hey, I actually really think this is legit. This is from God. This isn't just an exercise. I just presented it to people to see how they would respond to it. Uh, and the response was, was, you know, overwhelming. I actually shot it on video because my wife was uh, going into labor when I was supposed to be presenting this at the board meeting. So I shot it on video and sent it to them. And when they got done, one of the board members, uh, Penny Higseth, who'd been there for, you know, our church for a very long time, uh, was in tears and just said, you know, 
person who was just confirming that this was not just an exercise, it was from God. But the two parts of it that stuck out was Acts 1.8, that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jerusalem was this twin cities. For us, it's like your city. Judea, Samaria was the region. And then obviously to the ends of the earth is the whole world. And so our real driving vision for the 14 years I've been here, 15 years or so, was let's put a campus in the Twin Cities within 20 minutes of everyone. So if you want to drive to an Eagle Brook campus and you live in the Twin Cities, you could get there in 20 minutes or less. And when we opened Lakeville, that vision essentially was accomplished, that, that people could do that. And so we really were asking the question, what's next? And as I thought about this progression from Ju- Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, I really felt this sense that God was calling us not just to be a church of the Twin Cities, but to be a church of the Midwest, to be a church of the region, to try to reach people for Christ in the Midwest region and not just the city in which we lived. And specifically, uh, during that whole time, the phrase hold the line came from, I was uh, at a seminar by David Clark on the rise of the nuns. So not Catholic nuns. This is people who check none no religious affiliation. And he showed this map during the class and the map was like a heat map and it showed on the West coast and the East coast and the East coast, you know, high percentage of nuns, people in new England, you know, upper Northeast part of our country, uh, you know, not going to church. A lot of people say no affiliation to God, same thing on the West. So Northwest, you know, Seattle, John, you know, Seattle, it's rough. A lot of, uh, so, Man. You've got you've got these two things, and you can see these two lines moving across the country. And I'm looking at Minnesota, which is where our church is located, and it was right in the middle of these two lines coming across. And the phrase that popped into my mind was "hold the line." And I I think it popped in my mind because I've been watching the movie The Patriot, and there's this scene where the militia is retreating; they're being attacked by the British. The militia's lines always broke, and the British knew this, and so they were attacking the militia and there's this scene where Mel Gibson's character, you know, grabs the American flag, goes charging up this hill and he's yelling, hold the line, hold the line. And I just thought that's a picture of our world today that as more and more people turn away from Jesus Christ, as more and more people say they want nothing to do with church or, or, you know, or God, that some group of people, some church, some person needs to say, we're going to hold the line. And I wanted our church to, to be that church. Mm. Really good, Jason. And just even hearing it again, I've heard it several times, you know, at this point, it's still so inspiring. I know it's inspiring to a lot of people on staff, a lot of our church. And it's one of those visions that we got to keep in front of people. But Don, you've been around this church a long time. And uh, for many years, you know, had kind of followed the the vision culture and the vision that, um, that Bob had laid out for our church. So when you heard this, again, um, I think it was way back in May, 2019, uh, what was your response? What's What's been your feeling as you heard that vision rolled out? Yeah, well, it's just so compelling. I mean, and you're right, even as he's telling it again, I can feel ready to push the wall over. You know, you just get kind of fired up to hear it over again. Uh, and, and just quick side note, like the book Rise of the Nuns, I would encourage the pastors that happen to be listening to this of, man, that is a pocket of people out there that need to be reached. And you'll learn more about them through that book. So, Uh, a good book to get your hands on because we're surrounded by people that aren't necessarily mad at God or even don't believe in God. They're just, they just don't want to be connected to a church or to 
they would say a religious organization, maybe organized religion is what they call it. But they really actually are open if you are telling them about the good truth of who Christ is. But but what I loved about it and what just resonates with me is that this has never been a it's never been a Bob thing. It's never even been an Eagle Brook thing. It's not a Jason thing, but it really is a kingdom thing, which that Acts 1.8 is a verse that I memorized a long time ago. It's near and dear to my heart. And it really just expresses how it's never meant to be contained. You know, the kingdom, the church is always meant to be expanding and reaching as many as possible and moving forward in an exponential way. We get to see that in an incredible way at this church. And so, yeah, it's not just about the Twin Cities. It's not just about Eagle Brook, but it's about reaching beyond that into the Midwest and even beyond because there's a dark world that needs the love of Christ right now, right now. And so there's a sense of urgency and we all feel that we're all aligned with, man, this is a kingdom thing we're a part of and how exciting that it's not contained in a building and in a city, even in a region, but let's go reach as many as possible. Yeah, that's good. You know, interestingly enough, we had a few people specifically on staff who they appreciate the vision, but they had some questions, Jason. And I, I just so love about our culture that people are, <laughs> they're willing, uh, whether they're well-received or not, is maybe a different question at times, but they're willing to push back on, you know, strategies and vision and um, great, you know, thankfully um, you were really open to receiving this critique or these questions at least. And the question was, does this mean we have to like fight a battle? Like we're going to win back the culture. We're going to win back the world. Cause it just brought back memories of, you know, the moral majority and what happened in the eighties and, you know, kind of stuff like that. So is that what you mean? Do you mean like we need to be Mel Gibson and running back into battle with our hatchet <laughs> in hand? <laughs> no, uh, that would be probably taking it a little too literal. Uh, you know, you know, it was, it was specifically one staff member uh, that, that felt that way. And, you know, what I, what I share with them is I don't see this as a political battle. I see it as a spiritual battle. You know, Ephesians says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers, principalities, uh, you know, that rule uh, this world. And so for me, it was really the holding a line was not um, a culture war. It was not any of those kinds of things. It was more a spiritual, do we care enough about lost people to do whatever it takes to reach them? Do we care enough about lost people that we're willing to sacrifice uh, our preferences and what we would want to, to reach, reach those people? And uh, are we even willing to sacrifice, uh, you know, maybe our, you know, people thinking we're our reputation or people looking down on us or something like that. And I, I just, I just thought, you know what, we, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. And that's what the whole, the line is. It's, it's much more connected to this idea of people who are saying, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. That's the line we're trying to hold. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for explaining that. Um, let, let's talk about reaching unchurched people or nuns. Again, Don and uh, we've all recommended the book Rise of the Nuns by James Emery White. Um, I want to talk about what a nun is and why are they so difficult to reach. First, I thought it was just interesting. I was at a conference virtually that James Emery White was leading. And he was saying at the time he wrote the book, which wasn't more than you know four or five years ago, Rise of the Nuns were one of the fastest growing um, groups in the country. And it was represented like something like one out of five were now recent studies are showing that it is the fastest growing by far. And now it's more like one out of three check none. And he said, half of all young adults 
will uh, check check the box nun when asked what their religious affiliation is. So this group is growing. Jason, what is a nun and why are they so difficult to reach? Well, it's interesting. I think I grew up a nun. Uh, I, I grew up and what was interesting that James Emery White talks about in that book is that they're not necessarily uh, angry at God. You know, you mentioned this earlier, Don, they're not super opposed. They just, they just don't care. And, and that's, that's how I grew up is, is I, I wasn't, I believe that God existed. Uh, I was fine with other people believing in Jesus and going to church and doing those kinds of things. I just didn't have a strong opinion about it. I just didn't care. And I think what shifted is that, you know, you looked in the, maybe the nineties and some of the growth of mega churches. One of the things that churches did was a lot of people felt that church was boring. And so the key was let's make church engaging and interesting and not boring. And if you did that, you could reach people who maybe grew up going to church, but walked away because they were bored. Maybe you could re-engage them again uh, with an experience that was, you know, more, um, that wasn't boring to them. What's interesting about a nun is that they've, many cases not grown up going to church. So they don't have anything that they're like longing to go back to. And their issue isn't necessarily that church is boring. And if you could make it more entertaining, then they would come. Their issue is more along the lines of, I just don't care. And I don't see any reason why I would go to church. My life is fine the way it is. Uh, Things are going pretty well. And so that's a person that's very difficult to reach because they don't have an anchor point with church that you can bring them back to and they're apathetic. So it's, they don't even have a strong opinion necessarily either way, but they just kind of go through life. I think also the culture we live in right now uh, certainly has a worldview and that worldview is such that, well, you don't need organized religion. It's more individualistic. Do what feels good for you. Um, So people are exploring, you know, alternative forms of spirituality and finding things that you would normally think of finding in church, such as community uh, at their yoga class, or they're finding community at the CrossFit or something like that. And so you have to rethink what is it that's going to reach a nun? What is, what is it that's going to make a nun who has never gone to church, never really wanted to go to church or even thought of going to church? What's going to make them interested in coming? Man, that was so well said. Don, anything to add to that? And maybe an answer to that question? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, the word we've thrown around before is just relevance. You know, how do you stay relevant to the people you're trying to reach? And I think that's even the question is, who are the people you're trying to reach? And what are the questions they're asking? You know, even the, the three of us have been on the message planning retreat for years now. And almost every retreat, we come to a point where we all say like, okay, what message would you want to go to? Like, what topic actually do you want to hear about? And even more importantly, you have a lost neighbor or friend. What topic do you think would be most engaging for them? And by the way, the answer we often come up to is something about relationships or family. I mean, we, we usually come back to that answer. But, but that's a great question that every pastor, every leader should be asking, I think, is what is relevant to the people we're trying to reach to, what are, that we're trying to reach? And then how can we address that? And of course, we go about that with the stories that you guys tell, the environments we even set up, the music we play, it's all set to be uh, comfortable so that somebody can open their heart to a God that wants to show them how much they love them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so important to wrestle with. I think that's part of our ongoing conversation on a weekly basis. It's not just at message retreats, it's on a weekly basis, like what examples, what life situations do we need to address right now that's applicable to someone's life 
and you use the word re- relevance, it's relevant to someone's life. And that's an ongoing conversation. If you're a church leader, just continue to dig down at that. Expose you know, your life to other people who aren't a part of a church. They aren't believers. So you can hear their conversations. You can be a part of their dialogue. You can be a part of their life in some way because that's going to um, open you up to the ways that you can be relevant to those people's lives. Those people who just, again, like Jason said, it's not that they're angry towards the church, not they have have had a boring church experience. They're just apathetic. They don't even know that they need church. They don't even know that they need God or have that pain point in their life. And so um, just can encourage you to keep having that conversation. But Jason, um, going back to the vision, and you mentioned this, but the vision for so many years was to put an Eagle Brook location within a 20 minute drive of almost anyone in the Twin Cities with Lakeville that essentially happened. And then May, 2019 happened. And we're actually linked to that in the show notes, that message empowered weekend that you and Bob spoke together. And you really rolled out this, this vision to give actually vision as to why we were going to Rochester. Now, for those who don't know Minnesota, Rochester is hour and a half south of the Twin Cities. Um, it's about what, Don, an hour from our um, closest Twin Cities location, but typically an hour and a half drive. Mm-hmm. And so that changed the vision. You needed to give some reasoning why that was going to happen. Why were we going to become a church in the Midwest? I just want to talk practically for a second. And I know I can link to this message and maybe rehashing some of it, but what does that mean for Eagle Brook Church to become a church of the Midwest? And tie it back to Acts 1-8-2, if you can. Uh, well, you know, Acts 1-8 was the uh, Judea Samaria. It was the region. Um, and so for us, that's the Midwest. And, and Rochester specifically had a role to play in that, mostly because of the Mayo Clinic, that people from all over the world are coming to Mayo Clinic. And we have a location that's right near there. You can walk through the Skyway to get to our campus. And you think about the ends of the earth. Uh, The ends of the earth are coming to Rochester. It's a very unique city uh, in the Midwest and in Minnesota because we're not going to the ends of the earth. We do that through online church, but we're the the ends, the ends of the earth are actually coming to Rochester. So we felt like that was a great place to start. We thought that was a great campus to kick off, uh, you know, this new vision. And I know, I know that you don't necessarily want to say where we're going next, because inevitably someone will email you and say, didn't you say we were going to the, you know, to Duluth or to Des Moines or those places. But if you just had to list some locations, you would hope that Eagle Brook would end up someday. Are you willing to do that? Or am I putting you on the spot here? Well, I kind of did it in that message in May. So I think we can reiterate some of the things I said there. We said we would love to put a campus in Minneapolis. Uh, we feel like that's the the time is right for that. We've always kind of been around Minneapolis, but have a real sense that God might be calling us to do something specifically more in the city. Uh, you know, I talk to people all the time, one, the impact that we can make in the city uh, because of the needs that are in the city, because of the number of people who are in the city. But also I talk to people all the time who, you know, live in the city and, and they don't, they're not driving 20 minutes to come to Blaine or a suburb. They're going to go to things that are around them. They're going to walk through skyways. They're going to, um, you know, be around there. So we've, we've talked about something in the city. We've talked about larger cities around the Midwest, both in Minnesota and maybe out of Minnesota. So, you know, what are some of the other larger cities in Minnesota outside of the Twin Cities or ones in the Midwest would be places we would, you know, be praying about and thinking about. It's great. Thanks for sharing with us. You know, um, because of this new vision, our strategies have changed and they will need to change. Now, Don, you oversee all the campus teams. 
talk about some of those strategies that have changed or some of the strategies that will need to change as a result of this expanded vision. Well, yeah, there's so much that has had to change uh, in light of the COVID season that we're, we're living in. This is one of them. I mean, we're, we're literally sitting in front of screens, even though we're under the same roof, which, you know, the world has moved toward is this kind of Zoom world. And so there's kind of the obvious of if you're not embracing technology, I don't know quite how you live in today's world. Like you have to squeeze the sponge on uh, emails, texting, phone calls, Zooming, uh, when you're not in the same room with each other. So those are just practical. Even I would say probably if I were to think of one of the biggest challenges, be interesting to see what you guys think about the, this, but one of the biggest challenges over the past seven months for a staff of ours, the size that it is, is just communication. How do you get everybody on the same page? I mean, because really within any given meeting that we're in, we have multiple viewpoints. Okay, so now we got to get to one viewpoint and now that's got to get communicated to either hundreds or thousands of people. And that every time we do that, that's a challenge. I mean, and this is coming up as you and I talked about earlier today, like daily, I mean, daily, there's a communication challenge. And so getting crystal clear with your communication uh, has been a change in strategy that we've had to do even as a leadership team, like, okay, are we all on the same page? When will that get talked about? How will that get talked about? Because if we don't button those things up, it's kind of surprising how things will just move in different directions. But, but I'd say a strategy, even without getting overly practical, you know, down to like we started host, hosting staff meetings every week. You know, we don't even we haven't had the staff all in the same room yet, although we're looking to do that pretty soon. Uh, those are some practicals, but really the general theme of communication has had to change. That's a strategy that we've had to change as a staff on how we're going to communicate, what those rhythms are going to be like and making sure that we get everybody on the same page. So, so that's just one of those that has changed. I'd say one other thing, and I'll just throw it to you guys to see how you answer this, is learning how to manage the tension uh, of people that say go faster and people that say don't go at all. I mean, and this is all the way down to the mask that you wear. You know, everybody's got to wear them over their nose and, you know, properly, and the other person says don't wear them at all, and I'm not coming until you stop making me wear it. I mean, that's just like one example of hundreds that are in today's world. And as leaders, we have to decide when do you press the gas and say, we're going to go. And when do you push the brakes? And strategically, we have to decide each of these along the way. It's very complicated. And I'm sure every leader listening to this has felt that tension too. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry that we live in that tension. But honestly, it's biblical. I mean, if I were to say, if you thought about Moses, did, did he want to go forward or did he want to press the brakes? I mean, he had to live in that every day. Okay, today we move forward. No, today we stay in the camp. Joshua had to decide, are we going across the river or aren't we? I mean, all the way through the prophets, do I say that they're going to go in doom or aren't I? You know, back <laughs> had to say, am I going to complain or am I going to eventually rejoice and praise God? And we live in this tension of push forward or pull back. And strategically, we've been living in the battle of that. And just to empathize maybe with leaders that are listening, that's, that's, hard, that's a hard place to be. Yeah. And, and we, we've been trying to learn how to manage that all along the way. And that's really well said. Just to affirm that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were in leadership team talking about how we'd really been pressing the gas pedal um, for the last several months on our staff and in the strategies and what we were trying to push forward. And we kind of collectively said, we sense it's time to, 
take the foot off the gas just a little bit. Like our staff, our church needs just a breather um, for us to put the break. And that, that's a constant tension that we're trying to manage. It's so well said, Don. Um, anything to add to that, Jason? Yeah, I had a couple thoughts. Uh, that was really good. Uh, you know, Don, you made a comment at the beginning of that where you talked about embracing technology. And if you're not doing that, how are you surviving? And you were kind of relating it to the internal world of staff. But I would say for, you know, senior pastors and other church leaders out there, that same principle applies to your weekend service. Uh, you know, one of the things that really helped us as a church is we already were online prior to COVID. We already had a, a campus pastor that was fully dedicated to the online experience. We had a whole team of people that were dedicated to the online experience. So it wasn't a new thing for us. And I would just urge every leader out there who's, you know, connected to a church, leading a church, to be thinking through what does it look like for you to be embracing of technology so that you have a great online experience because the world we're living in right now really is this, there's some going to be there in person. There's going to a lot who are going to be there online and you almost have to view things differently. So we made a big decision earlier this year, as we said, you know, we always tracked attendance by who's in the room and then online was kind of this separate little piece. And we made a decision that we're switching that this year and now we're counting both of those two numbers together as the attendance of our church online and in room both have this equal value to us. And that one little shift changes how you view church because now all of a sudden online becomes your largest campus. And so you're starting to say, okay, how do we get the people who are online to get in a group? Uh, do we need to put more staff towards online? Cause that's where a lot of our people are. Uh, how do we get people online to invite? It's never been easier to invite to church because all you have to do is send a link and say, hey, I'm going to be on this at nine o'clock. You should join me. And the person doesn't even have to get dressed up and shower. And so we were talking about nuns earlier. I actually think this is, you know, you ask, how do you reach a nun? Uh, part of it is that their life gets shaken a little bit. Uh, they're, 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 if, if they're just walking through life going, oh, it's great. I have no problems. I have no issues. You're going to have a hard time getting them to come to church. But when you're going through something like our world is going through right now and our country is going through, you have an opportunity where people are spiritually open and spiritually interested and looking for something. And never has it been easier to invite them because they don't even have to come to your building. They can just watch the service online. Uh, you know, Don, you were giving some examples of tension too. I think about the food sacrifice to idols. That was one of the first major decisions that the church, early church had to make in the book of Acts. Should we force Gentiles to be circumcised and not eat food sacrificed to idols and go through some of these Jewish ritual laws or do we not? And the, the, the basic, you know, conclusion they came to was we're not going to make it hard for people to come to church and, and to come to God. And, and that's how I think about us with church is that with all this tension out there, masks and no masks and, and, and all the polarizing issues that people are on one side or the other of, we're just trying, we're trying to become, those are not hills we're dying on. And I think every church leader needs to understand what are the hills I'm going to die on and what are the hills that I'm not. So for me, I get emails all the time or, you know, not all the time, but I get emails. People say, oh, take a stand for this, take a stand for that. Most of the time, it's not something I want to take a stand on. Because it's not one of our core beliefs. We have nine core beliefs and it doesn't fit with one of those. And so I know where my take a stand moment is. If, if someone ever came to me and said, hey, you can't teach the Bible. You can't teach that and it's in the Bible because that's offensive to people or whatever it might be. That would be a take a stand moment for me. But otherwise, I'm taking a stand for the gospel. I'm taking a stand for Christ. I'm going to continue to focus on that 
and not all the COVID protocols and all the other things that people are getting caught up in and the controversies around those. Hmm. Well said. Well said. That was a great discussion. We could probably have a whole podcast just on that question, but for sake of time, I do need to move us on. I got just a couple more questions here. Um, this is going to be for both of you. You both have seen some incredible things. God do some incredible things here at and through Eagle Brook Church. Why? Why has Eagle Brook um, just continued to grow, continue to reach people? Don, I'll start with you. What What would you say to that? To that question? Yeah, I mean this. This will sound like what you're supposed to say because it it's true is just by God's power. I mean, really, as sincere as I can say, only by God's power have we seen what we've seen, have we experienced what we've experienced at our church, and we could not be more grateful that that God's hand is over this. I know both of you pretty well, and, you know, you're okay, but you're not that great. I mean, like, like clearly, God is, when I sit around our leadership team table, we all know Clearly, God is, you know, in control. You should see us all try to do a math problem. That is a cycle. It's it's scary. (laughs) But number one, I mean, God is at work and we couldn't be more grateful. I would say number two is really the question we've been talking about earlier of creating invitational experiences, you know, where kids want to come. I love when kids bring their parents to church. I always love that story because it happens quite a bit you know, where kids want to come, where students want to come, where, where nuns or lost people want to come. Uh, we've created this invitational experience where once you come, you want to invite others. And then really the third thing I'd say to that is around the vision culture of just the way we've established it. We have a language that we talk about this. We make it clear to people before they even come on staff, even when they volunteer. And if any attender wants to get to know it more, they can figure out really what's at the heart of Eagle Brook through, you know, really this uh, tool that we've put together in the vision culture is brilliant. And so uh, there's so much going for us in the way that God's working, invitational services, and this vision culture tool that's just created this momentum that we get to thank God for regularly. Yeah, that's good. Jason, anything to add to that? Yeah, that's really good. I would echo that. Uh, you know, in fact, when you're talking about kids' ministry and students, I was going to mention that earlier. How do you get, you know, I asked the question, how do you get someone who doesn't have that? background of church and they have no interest in going to church, how do you get them to come to church? I think kids and students is huge. Uh, it used to be that parents bring their kids to church. Now kids bring their parents to church. Oh, true. And if you, and if you're a parent, you know this, you'll do anything for your kids. If your kids go, Hey, I want to go to this church because my friend invited me or I want to check it out. As a parent, you're like, okay, I don't want to do it. Or I'm nervous about that, but I'm going to step over the line and do it. I think in addition to everything Don said, I would just hone in on, we've done such a good job of staying on mission. And I would give, uh, you know, Bob Merritt, our previous senior pastor, the most credit for that, of being a singularly focused leader who kept our church on mission. So there were so many times in the last, you know, 13, 14 years where we could have gotten off track. We could have gotten excited about something else and gone after something else and started doing that. And churches do. But one of the things that, that he and others on our leadership team have done such a good job of is to say, no, we're, we're a church that is here to reach people for Christ. That's our mission, and we're going to stay on that, and we're going to stay after that. And when we see ourselves drifting from it, we're going to self-correct and bring ourselves back to it. I remember there was one year when we didn't see a lot of growth. Not a, not a lot of new people were coming to faith or coming to our church. And it was, hey, we got to figure this out. And we actually planned a, a series of message series leading up to a series we 
uh, did called It Would Take a Miracle. And we pushed our whole church to invite people to that, you know, people who didn't go to church. And it was really, a, for us, it was a get back to our mission moment. And I think every church has those. Uh, and so I think the ability to keep your church singularly focused on mission and go after that is is important. Yeah, that's just just not an hour ago. Dale Peterson, who you're probably referring to, he's been around staff a long time. He's been on previous podcasts here, executive director of Eagle Brook Association. He was just saying, he was telling a story of someone invited him, Eagle Brook, to be a part of an event that was at a stadium. And it's a, it, it's a partner of ours and it's a good event. It's well-intentioned. And he's ranting and raving. He's like, I told him, Eagle Brook doesn't do events. We don't need to go, you know, pray about reaching people. We're just going to go reach people. And, and he has this passion that wells up in him. And we don't have anything against events or prayer gatherings or big, you know, stadium filled things. Of course we love those, but we want to focus on our mission, which is to reach people who are far from Christ. And those things have the potential to take you off mission. So that, that was again, really well said, Jason, Jason, two quick questions for you to wrap things up. Um, first is this, what's the biggest leadership lesson you've learned through this pandemic? Well, uh, the world we live in right now is so polarized and people have so many opinions. And, you know, I joked with someone early on that, you know, people say, do something, do something. And, and a lot of what people do when they do something is they email someone who's doing something and tell them what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. And so we were no different than that. And I think early on in leadership, there was a season where I liken it to, I felt like I was watching a tennis match that I would get caught up, you know, oh, this person told said this, and then this person said this, and this person said this. And you just kind of like do this thing where you go back and forth. And a breakthrough moment came for me a couple weeks into COVID. I went up to this closet thing and I just put some worship music on and I prayed and I was there for a couple hours just praying through things and talking to God. And I came downstairs and I told my wife, I said, the burden's gone. Because I felt like Jesus Christ is the leader of this church and I need to listen to his voice. Mm. And I can't listen to this voice and that voice and this voice and that voice. And so, you know, interestingly, even, you know, people who I trust, people who are really wise leaders that I would consider, you know, mentors and people I'm close to, they would have radically different opinions in this season. And it's, it's unlike any other, you know, really I've, a season I've been a part of. And so you have to get locked in on whose voice am I listening to? And for me, it had to come back to, first and foremost, the voice of God through scripture and through, you know, prayer. And that was, for me, gave me a confidence as a leader that I was, I think, lacking for a while. And I think our staff could feel it of, okay, he knows which direction we're going here and he feels confident in it and feels like this is where God's leading us. And people, uh, I think, are more willing to follow that than when you're kind of trepidatious, not sure. Well, let's see what this person says. Now I'm over and I switch my, I changed my mind because this person said something different. And I had to learn that uh, early on. Wow, man, that's really good. You know, just a final question here, maybe it ties into your previous answer. So, you know, if you want to repeat yourself, that's fine too. Cause that was again, so well said, but what advice do you have to other senior leaders or church leaders who are part of ministry in some way? Well, uh, you know, one of the things that we, I was telling people, this is in like July and August was I was giving an invitation to follow Christ almost every message, which I normally don't do. And the reason why I was doing it was two reasons. One, 
I felt like just keep bringing people back to Jesus. That in the world we live in today, people are inundated. It's constant politics, COVID, election, you know, all these other things that are going on. And I just kept saying, let's just, let's bring people back to Jesus Christ. And every time I would give an invitation for people to follow Christ, there would be hundreds that would respond. And so it taught me too, that people are at a point where they're spiritually open, spiritually hungry. And so I would say to to leaders that if your mission is to seek and save the lost, if your mission is to reach people for Christ as a church, this is a great time uh, to continue to give people the opportunity to step over that line. Uh, And so I would just say, keep, keep bringing it back to that. Keep bringing it back to who is Christ, the difference, you know, what he did on the cross for people. Um, How does that, and I would relate it to events today and the hope that we can have and all those kinds of things. But, but that was really the focus. And, and that was for me, for our church, I think a, a really powerful thing uh, for the last couple of months. Yeah. Well, we're, we're really grateful for you, Jason. You, you truly are humble. You're gifted. You've handled this season with what I've been referring to as a non-anxious presence. Um, that's been so important for our staff and our attenders, um, just to see someone who is confident in what God is saying to them and how he's leading you. And it's really nothing short of supernatural because Again, we don't have a culture of placing our senior leaders up on pedestals. You're really not that special. So it is supernatural. God's spirit is clearly <laughs> filling you. No, this is no. all very true. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but truly, hear me say, uh, on behalf of so many people, we're, we're so grateful for the ways that you've allowed God to speak through you and, and lead you and just grateful for your leadership. Thank and you. uh, thanks for stepping into this incredibly challenging gap. Don, any final words to add? No, this was really fun. I mean, thanks for all you've been doing, Jason. It's so fun to uh, see you lead through it. And I just love your sincere devotion to God and listening to him. And, uh, you know, a lot of what we talked about today is almost back to the basics. Go back to listening to God. Go back to scripture. Go back to what he's been teaching all the way through. And by the way, let me just add this, I think, somewhat important caveat is you don't just go forward and not bring your team along with you. Like, I remember a pretty pointed leadership team meeting where you said, wait, I'm not going to go forward if you're not not all with me. Uh, Are we all, are we still on the same page? And we actually had to spend some time draining that out, which was where I, where some leaders could say, I've heard from God, we're going this direction. Uh, That's not the way you've done that at all. You do go, you, you connect with God, you bring a word from him. And then you say, now here's a thought, let's all speak into it. Yeah. And I think that's just so healthy. I learned that from a professor in seminary because uh, his church like split on him. Yeah. And I knew I, I'd grown up near there. And so I asked him about it. I said, what happened? And he said, you know, I grew up, you know, Bill Hybels charged the hill, take ground. He said, I, I charged a hill and I got halfway up and looked behind me and there was nobody behind me. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was a question I, I think I brought up that one time. I was like, hey, I'm not charging the hill. If there's, if I'm on my own here, yeah. if I'm going up on myself. Yeah. And that has been important of well, what does the board think and what does our leadership team think? And it really has been a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. And that you're right. That's the exact phrase you used in that leadership team meeting, which <laughs> is a great visual. Let's make sure mm-hmm. we're all working together. So yeah. thanks for doing it, Jason. This is, yeah, this it's been great guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, you guys. And that's all we got for this episode of Eagle Bird Church Leadership Podcast. We just believe when leaders get better, the church gets better. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you for the next episode, which clearly won't be as good as this episode of the Eagle Bird Church Leadership Podcast. 